Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Alex Merrill. Welcome to the Inspirati. I've enlisted a roster of ultra-talented international creators and curators to join me on this podcast to talk about how they've charted their individual paths, overcome challenges, and found their true artistic selves. From candid conversations with eminent makers to showcasing exciting up-and-comers across the industries of art, music, fashion, entertainment, literature, and design, we get to illuminate our perspectives, learning from these unique stars within the constellation of global creativity. The Inspirati was created for those seeking inspiration and those seeking to inspire. Thanks for listening. Way before talk of a pandemic and small social bubbles and working from home, Mimi and Otter Thorson decided to leave Paris and explore a different kind of lifestyle in the countryside. They knew they wanted a life that was centered around their family and good food. They knew that they wanted to grow their own vegetables and have outdoor space for their dogs to enjoy. And outside of that, they didn't really have a plan. Mimi was in a bit of a transition phase with her work and wanted to take some time off. And she started getting really curious in the kitchen and documenting her adventures in cooking on her blog, Manger. Otter was taking the photographs. And pretty soon, the couple started opening their home for workshops on food and photography. They have now collaborated on three beautiful cookbooks, A Kitchen in France, A Year of Cooking in My Farmhouse, French Country Cooking, Meals and Moments from a Village in the Vineyards, and their most recent, Old World Italian, Recipes and Secrets from Our Travels in Italy, which took them to Torino, where they're now based. For me, these two have really mastered the art of living. Mimi's obviously an incredible cook, and Otter happens to be as well. And they have eight kids, so even in the middle of yet another lockdown, they get to have a dinner party every night. And Otter has this way of capturing their life through photography that at first glance feels stunningly old world, but when you take a second look, you realize that it really couldn't be more timely. There's this emphasis on coming to the table together as a family, eating really good food and paying attention to the everyday acts that many of us aren't as considerate about, elevating them, adding beauty to them and making them special. This philosophy around a way of living has captivated an audience of hundreds of thousands. And I think the reason it's so impactful, especially right now, is that it serves as a sort of invitation to each of us to embrace these moments when we have to slow down, even if they're forced upon us, and not fight them, but use the opportunities to dig a little deeper into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls, and feel the privilege to take inventory and find new sources of inspiration and creativity. I've heard Mimi and Otter interviewed separately, but I'd never heard them in conversation together. So I invited them to do this episode as a duet because I was so curious about how they found each other and how that catalyst informed both of their creative paths. I also wanted to capture the feeling of being in their home in Torino across the dinner table, wine in hand, immersed in their world and everything that makes it so special. 
This episode admittedly has a bit of additional ambiance with the occasional dog or naked child wandering through the room, and I hope you enjoy spending time in the Thorisons' home as much as I did. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Audrey is coming. So I'm just waiting. My son is ringing. So, Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. How's how's your lockdown, your second lockdown going? Um, it's, it doesn't really feel much like a lockdown. Well, no, it's much better than the first one. I Did mean, you want um, a drink? Right. Yes. No. What kind of a drink? Uh, a glass of wine. Yeah, the lockdown has been, apart from restaurants and bars closed, it's been pretty okay. I mean, it's much lighter than in March, so that's pretty good. And three out of five kids are going to school, which is really... I am thanking every day, you know, like thanking the spirits around. And then, yeah, every, you know, all the stores are open. And it's really funny here because they're, you know, the, the, the non-essential and the essential. And for me, restaurants are essentials. But anyway, that's my opinion. But say like uh, stores, fashion stores, things like that close. But lingerie closed stores are open. That's, that's, that's Italy. The, <laughs> So it's been kind of strange what's essential and not. And I think a lot of people are confused about the fine line. And they're also confused about like who can travel, who cannot travel. Like people in Milan, Torino, if you have a work excuse, you can pretty much go anywhere. It's, um, you know, but I think the best thing is to try not to travel and to try and cooperate and not move around. Because that's the worst, right? Moving around. Cheers. Cheers. I feel like it totally changes our entitlement too, right? We're so used to being able to go wherever we want, whenever we want, but you two forged this path almost a decade ago that's all about being home with family and living simply but really well. So you set the trend. The rest of us are just finally catching up. Oh, I was talking to somebody. I met, there was a line at the uh, grocery store, one of many. Uh, there was a very tempting box of porcini, but I didn't take it this morning because we, we had other plans. But we were discussing, and I was exactly mentioning that. that we lived eight years in the countryside where we were very much just together all the time with the kids. And yes, you take walk walk in the countryside with all the, all the dogs and you tend to things. But in the end, it's very much the same thing. We're ready. Well, you know, <laughs> we kind of cook really great meals and try to make a, you know, every meal is usually very nice and beautiful tables and you know we try to have a nice quality of life uh, and make everything just feel great so that you know we 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 kind of uh, enjoying ourselves and it's actually we we're locking ourselves in a little cocoon as well which is actually quite comforting if you do it well (laughs) I mean of course I'm you know it's 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 easy because this is how we live and, and we do it and we have cooperation around. And, but no, I think you have to make the best out of it, you know, and look at the positive side. It's it's great for you guys. I feel like you have so many kids that even if half of them are home, it's like a dinner party. So it's it's great. We're very self-sufficient. People always uh, say, uh, hey, you know, like the, the, the classic kind of, you're in a party with some uncle. He says, hey, you know, you've got so many kids, you know, now you have a football team or whatever. And we always think, we're not really trying to create the football dream. We're trying to create the dinner. So we kind of, we're kind of there. Once again, with lockdown, like you guys really figured this out way early. Yeah, yeah it's very fun. You know, for instance, this morning, some of the kids are at home. Some, some of them are uh, online, doing online school, the older ones. So it was always very nice to cook together. I made a little pasta for lunch. Uh, went to the grocery store, did the round. Even was doing other things, so so she kind of came to the table. But you always have company, you always have different perspectives. The kids are all very excited about food and and all that. So it's a it's quite a. Quite and I pleasant. received a surprise box of five most beautiful kimonos. Amazing! Wow! I find that during the lockdown, everybody's style has changed a lot. Like even I, I think that homeware and kimonos and you know just the dressing in but dressing up but still dressing for you know the home has been more important than ever and so important for your mood as well to just feel a bit glamorous even though you're at home but still have loungewear you know the the uh, the luxury stores being considered uh, essential, essential. Stores, obviously <laughs> i love that i love that no one's wearing no one's wearing sweatpants we can't we can't let ourselves be taken down from an aesthetic point of view, photographing people in the street, 
it's more fun to photograph people in in uh, you know tailoring than than in a sportswear. It's, it's perfect if you're if it's a if it's a sports game. But uh, so I, I I'm I worried about the trend of people actually using this as an opportunity to, to go full on just in that direction. But I I hope not. I think not. I think that the, there's also this awakening of of there is something like my my grandparents in retirement. He had been an ambassador. He always woke up that dressing gown, breakfast, then they went back to bed, then they dressed independently. They were always wearing nice clothes during the day, and they never, you know, really, they were 80, they didn't go much. But they dressed up. My grandmother dressed up for the Oscars after he died, even if she was the only woman in the room. She didn't really go to the Oscars, you see. She just she watched on TV. So uh, I think it's a, some people use this as an opportunity to kind of see how far can I take. You know, it's, it's something you do for yourself. I think many of us have a lot to learn from your grandparents. So obviously, you two meeting was a was a great creative catalyst, I'm sure for both of you. But who was who was Mimi pre Otter and who was Otter pre Mimi? I had so many funny things came into my head. But you start. I'll just no, no, get the <laughs> uh, no I, I can't really talk about who she was before she met me. But uh, I was just a loser. You know, I was nobody. <laughs> Still am actually, but uh, <laughs> but with a, with a better with a better companion, like you know. I, <laughs> no, but honestly, I think uh, we've been on the track somehow. This same track, we, we weren't. We obviously complement each other, but I think we always want, we had both been married before. We had both had lives before. We were both past thirty, and I think we both were very, very um, ready for this marriage. I think it was good that we both had kids before. She had a daughter. I had two kids. Uh, she was uh, obviously a very beautiful girl. I was very lucky to get her. She was, uh, she, you know, she got me. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, it, it we was. Met a, the, we <laughs> met in the nightclub at five in the morning. Yes, yes, we did. Uh, and you were wearing Masoni, right? Yes. <laughs> How did you know? But the, this could get X-rayed very quickly. But uh, but we did meet yes at five o'clock, and it, the story went very quickly to my hotel room. Where she wanted to see my passport, and uh, she was that, checking yeah, her documents. <laughs> so that was that, and and then Britain um, has been you know together ever since. Yeah, and but as Otter said, I think an important part of our lives is that we both knew what we wanted and didn't want, and we were both married before. Uh, I had one daughter, and Otter had two kids, and I think that I knew that I didn't want a relationship anymore after that because I was really lucky to be away on my own, happy to be, you know, free, independent. And that was actually the first thing. Like, I promised all my friends and myself to be single forever and not to. So that was, uh, I think that lasted like 24 hours before I met him. But but before that, um, yeah, we were both married and had different careers. I mean... I yes, was uh, working in television and traveled a lot. Like I literally lived in a suitcase for since I was 18 and traveled uh, a lot nonstop, really. And Mimi's a little bit messy, but, you know, it's good people know. Yes, I, I'm messy. I think it com- comes from living in a suitcase. So, like, you leave stuff everywhere. And But, um, yeah, I love traveling, and I traveled so much. And uh, Paris was always home. After, I grew up in Hong Kong, but um, Paris was home on, since I was 18. And um, yeah, so, and then when I met Otter, we, um, it kind of changed my life because I started uh, being more creative. I was more business, traveling, uh, you know, living a fast life. But meeting Otter and then going to Iceland, that was a new kind of, when we started meeting, we just basically half lived in Paris and half in Reykjavik in Iceland. And that changed my life. All my creativity came out. And I think when you meet the right person, it enables you to be yourself. I think the word uh, you're looking for is blossom. Blossom. <laughs> and clearly the blossoming extended to the kitchen. Do you, did you grow up cooking, though? Was that an important part of your, of your family? Cooking, not so much. It was more eating and... Uh, going to all the restaurants and we traveled a lot. I have a French mother and a Chinese dad, grew up in Hong Kong, but France was very much our our hub, our home in the holidays and family. And so cooking 
was very much on the French side, but on the Chinese side, and I grew up in Hong Kong, it was really all about eating together. And we had a passion for eating, going to restaurants, traveling. So it was probably the biggest thing in my life. And an early memory probably of bringing family together that way. Yeah, because of all the cultural, um, it was a form of communication. It was a way of saying, you know, showing your love. It was uh, my passion. It was everything. So Yes, for us, it's unimaginable uh, to, to exist without the table. And it sounds almost kind of pretentious, but it was always uh, growing up. With, I was an only child most of my life. And I was always trying to get my parents to take me to restaurants. I was always happiest there, and I'm still happiest there. It's just you're sitting at the restaurant, preferably with not with you know paper towels, but with actually linen. And after that, everything just seems possible and beautiful. And uh, and uh, I still feel the same, and my kids feel the same. And we eat every dinner together at the table, most lunches. Uh, nobody ever eats in front of the TV or computer. It's just like nobody would even think of doing that. You know, they can't imagine that anybody would, and I can't imagine anybody. Would. But that's just, and it's not to put yourself in a seat of kind of judging other people. It's just a very important way of living together as a family. That's how people always did it. And then maybe some people have lost that and, and it's a shame for them. But uh, it doesn't mean that we're saying that what we're doing is better. But uh, I think it's important for the family to, to connect in that way. Yeah, it's less of a, of a thoughtless process and more adding intention to, to what you do. Yeah, it just makes it fun as well. And uh, a little bit ceremonial. Yeah, it's a ritual. It's um, it's uh, celebrating food, but it's more than that, right? It, it's food. For me, food is love. So it's uh, it's the one I would like to have that in my obituary. <laughs> it doesn't mean that there isn't a moment. In a, there's an exception to every rule. There, there, you know, like there's also the beautiful moment where somebody's sick in bed or you're pretending to be sick and they have like, like chicken noodle soup in bed. Or if people just had a wild night and they want to go to bed early and have take out Indian in bed, want watching whatever, like a black and white movie. Like you can be in a hotel, have rooms. There's many, many exceptions that are allowed. But uh, in general, it, there has to be some kind of a, like reason for it, I think. And you have to wear a kimono. Lingerie. <laughs> 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 but I think just the ritual, being at the table and eating, it's all about celebrating life and respecting life, respecting yourself. Like we're pretty, very preaching. <laughs> no, but it's also like, you know, it's so exciting. It's it's like fashion or art or, you know, like every season there's the latest porcini, there's the white truffles. It, it's quite exciting, really, so... It's exciting to celebrate it at the table. It's also a great excuse to have, always drink a lot of wine because if you do it at the table, it feels very you know, elevated. If you just do it in, in bed, in front of a computer... It yeah, we only drink <laughs> wine usually with food. This is exceptional. <laughs> Not straight from the um, bottle, like in bed. No, no we, we, do love, we do love wine. and You know, we're not big cocktail people. I, from time to time, I, I get into kind of... If, if there are friends or there's a reason. But yeah, we drink a lot of wine. Champagne is very, uh, some people love. Or, you know, champagne is wonderful. Sure, you agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even at, even at nine in the morning, you can put some orange juice in it and, and call it breakfast. <laughs> That's called that's fizz, right? Well, what's a mimosa? Is that a mimosa? A mimosa, yeah. I think I'm the other great one is the Bellini. <laughs> I was learning recently about the original Bellini cocktail from Harry's Bar in Venice and Giuseppe Cipriani, who started Harry's, was making them in the 30s with the Prosecco and the peach puree. But uh, he didn't have a name for it until the next decade. And there was this big exposition in Venice of the Renaissance painter Giovanni Bellini and Cipriani noticed this hue in one of his paintings that reminded him of the color of the drink. Look at this. Wait, sorry to interrupt you, but here's Richard. Ah, hi! <laughs> Wet naked boy. Cameo. I love that there's just dogs and children rolling through. Have like... you been to Ireland in Venice? Yes. It's, very, it's actually a funny place because uh, it's quite a good place, but uh, it's good to go a little bit late. And it's good to go with locals. Because you actually pay less. It's kind of an incredible thing. You have but, a local's uh, price and a foreigner's price. I didn't so, know that. Uh, go there and think, well, this is just the most expensive restaurant in the world. Oh. I can't believe it. Three people, 500 euros. But if you go and have all the same thing with Venetians, it could be 150. 
It's that big of a difference. Yeah, yeah. For the little for the little toasted sandwiches. <laughs> oh, but it's a good place. I really like it. We've been there a few times and we, we like it a lot. And we like to make bellini at home. But you have to have many, you know. You have to have like 50 bellini for them to come. My, my kids, they make bellini. Yeah, they make <laughs> the best bellinis. They're all trained. With yeah. with peaches from nearby or where do you find the peaches? Yeah, only in summer because, you know, we don't freeze the puree. We just, if we have fresh... I feel it's a summer drink. You know, you, of course, for them, uh, I know they make them with fresh uh, peaches and, and then they, they, they store the puree. But for us, we make it, you know, with fresh peaches from the market. Nice. When, when there are peaches, there's no peaches now. Yeah. So we make other things, old fashioned. So you're relying on the seasons. <laughs> Otter, what are your early memories of discovering photography? Do you remember getting your first camera? Yes. I do remember that. But, uh, it wasn't like a eureka moment. It was just kind of a more like a, I was, like I said, I was an only child and my father was in, in a meeting in, in Paris and I found this Canon that I really wanted. So he bought it for me. I think it was 14 or something. But it wasn't a classic story. It wasn't really like Abaddon got his first camera and, you know, I didn't do anything with that camera. I, I've seen the pictures. They weren't very good. So that was not the moment that started that. But I think... What, what mattered is that I was uh, very, very visually inclined all my life, incredibly. You know, I was subscribing to architectural digest since I was a very young kid. I was really kind of like very interested in how things looked, beauty, styling, how, how you know, everything is. And, um, but I, my first shot at, at actually capturing with, with a camera wasn't important. What was important is that I always wanted to, to have a beautiful eye, and it wasn't really about necessarily capturing it or showcasing it. Uh, and then I was working in advertising, graphic design, art director, um, and I got interested in photography, and I, I, I felt that I could use all this classical training, taking pictures. You know, you have these guys who go to like photography school in Santa Barbara, and they come home, and all they care about is equipment, and capturing, you know, guys on motorcycles, or I don't know, you know, and I was never really like that. Uh, for me, the camera is just a tool to for storytelling or showcasing beauty. So I'm not that interested in gadgets or anything like that. And uh, I think it's that, yeah. So yeah, my first camera probably was a Leica. My first camera that I used and did anything with was a Leica. I was probably 27, and uh, I had had already kind of many years of other stuff behind me. Did either of you have major creative mentors growing up? Were your parents creative? Did they open that world up for you? Or was it other people? Or did you have to find it on your own? Not really. Not, not. My father is a lawyer and, and works for the government. My mother is a, it was an economist, banker. And, um, and so really, like if I came home with a good grade from arts class, they would be like, that's so really nice, a good hobby. Like I was really, like my grandmother who was German, was very eccentric. He was the only one who thought, had kind of an open mind. Everybody else just thought, you know, you could be a lawyer or you could be a businessman. Or That's what people thought I would do. And and I wanted to do that too. It would, they, nobody was pushing me in that way. I just kind of, but I was always, I realized, I started to go, but I always thought, I was always thinking about kind of the suit I would wear, what my office would look like, you know, like what everything would look like rather than actually being interested in, in the career. So, I think it's all the same. You know, you, you, you find your place in life. So it was the aesthetics of the life of the lawyer that were more interesting than the, than the legal practice. Sounds very shallow, actually. Double-breasted suits. Did you decorate <laughs> when you were younger, like with your first apartments? Did you... Yeah, yeah, I did. I am more of a ha- kind of a homemaker in a way than Mimi. Like, Mimi was on the go. Mimi was kind of a golden girl, jetting between cities, doing modeling, you know, asshole boyfriends. <laughs> no, but... Uh, I, I was uh, kind of like, I used my savings for marble floor in an apartment that, that belonged to my grand, grandparents. Uh, like, I was that guy, you know. <laughs> my, my family, I was in, you know, growing up, it was so fun. Like, it was just one big party. I had a great time. Like, and still have, I'm having a great time. I think at my mom, the cultural differences with Chinese and French and all. But my father is very tempestuous, but super smart and loves food. So, you know, 
despite his bad character, he, he really introduced me to great restaurants and have a great taste in food. And my mom never really ate. So I was like the eating partner for my, with my dad. And my mom never stepped foot in the kitchen, actually. And wow. uh, and she's super elegant. She's uh, she's really my style icon, my mother, because she's got the best legs. She 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 introduced me to so many things, and you know, she really defined me in the style. Like you know, I love Yves Saint Laurent. I love um, heels. I love you know legs. I love um, the female silhouette. And uh, no, my mom really taught me. She she just naturally taught me everything that I am today. I think she really molded me into the woman I am today, which is this French woman who's very independent and very assertive. And I don't know. I just I don't think she realized, but it was all the things that she loved. It transcend. You know, she she gave me all that knowledge. So yeah, it was a, a life of contrasts and of a lot of traveling. My parents are bon vivants, you know, love, like the 80s, a lot of excesses, you know, like I remember my childhood and I remember, you know, meeting Pavarotti, like it was crazy memories of like childhood things that would pop up in my head and, and Hong Kong and the older contrast. So I don't know, I, I, I've always been very dynamic and but I always was a trophy child in a sense because I'm half Asian and half French and my parents had this mentality that was still a bit old-fashioned they considered me a bit of a trophy child so I never really had a chance to express myself I only wanted to please them so I went more into the business world or you know I had like a double life I, I was a really good girl but I also had an inside life where I liked creativity and all the things that I couldn't really be in real life it took me a long time to become myself you know like to be the woman like to do something creative more than you know practical yeah it's so wonderful that you not only unlocked your creativity through food but that with your cookbooks and workshops you're helping other people get to do that as well and I guess a lot of that really started for you when you fell in love do you remember any of the first things you guys cooked for each other Actually, when we met, I never said to other that I could cook. I think it's also the difference between men and women. I always found I was uh, briefly the, uh, I mean, maybe it's even like, it's probably considered sexist to say there's a difference, but still, there is. And uh, I was an editor of a magazine in Iceland, and I always remembered if you had a very short time and you needed something done, you'd call a couple of able writers, women, uh, and they would say, you know what, I just don't think I can do it. I just don't think I can do it in this time. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, okay. So you call a guy and he's like, sure, no problem. Like, no problem. When do you need it? Monday? And then Monday comes, of course, they didn't deliver. That's when they start like, I mean, a couple days more. I don't know. Like, you know, this is like way more than I thought. Like that kind of stuff. So we were like that too. You know, I, I think I was boastful. I was the guy who was like, I'm, I'm quite good at cooking, you know. She came to... Which is actually something to boast about is that after that night, you know, the passports and all that five in the morning in Paris, uh, she, I was going back to Iceland and she came uh, two days later to Iceland, bought her own ticket. Pretty good. And she showed up on my doorstep with a bottle of champagne in one hand and chocolate chocolates in the other and dressed in a very, you know, nice outfit. And uh, I... Cooked for her that night, and I was always talking about how I love food, Italian food, wine, and she was extremely demure about that whole thing. And then later on, I was in her apartment in Paris, and I was uh, working on something. So we had little time, not time to go out. I was doing something in the computer, you know, late at night, and she kept bringing like souffles and exotic things that I just hadn't ever even heard about. And I'm like, where's this all coming from? Like, this is some of the best food I've ever heard. And she was always like, oh, this is nothing. This is just my little this play and that thing and a cocoa van and you know why don't you just go and work and, do, and that's when I realized that maybe I should just shut my mouth you didn't even know like you <laughs> didn't, didn't know. that's amazing it wasn't like you saw her cooking and you were like actually that's the one yeah I think that anyway I remember I cooked him a Roquefort souffle wow where did you learn to do that I don't you know I as I said with my parents we ate all the time in the lab but when we went to France the women in the family 
are amazing cooks. My aunt, my grandmother, not my mother, but my aunt and grandmother. And they always criticize my mother for it. Like, oh, you always wanted this life. We are the real women around here who can cook. And it was always like a little rivalry, but a really sweet one where they loved each other so much. And so my aunt and grandmother taught me how to cook because when I went to France, I could be human again. Like it was a normal life. It was love. It was the countryside, uh, spending all the day eating, cooking, and spending all the time in the kitchen. When I went there, I felt, oh, this is like a real family. Not like my parents are a little bit dysfunctional. And, um, and, and so, you know, for me, just being in that kitchen was just so amazing and seeing them cook and my aunt would cook for like 20 people like that you know tomate à la provençale uh, a souffle um, coco vin i mean you name it the blanquette de veau and, but just so easily and she's like oh it was so effortless and so she really taught me how to have this flair of like cooking effortless food but delicious and going to the market together and you know, the art of making a beautiful salad, the vinaigrette, uh, how to choose an artichoke. So it was all there. It was my grandmother and my aunt. And, and were you living in Paris together as like the first place? Yes. We lived, uh, yes, six years together. And then kids uh, and dogs started coming and you went, we need more space. Yeah. <laughs> we living in Paris, we really also shared our lives with Reykjavik because Otter had two kids. I had one. When I met Otter, actually, I was still married but separated and I had a daughter and she was what 16 months or 18 months years, tiny, years. Years. and she was tiny and she and so we had to improvise so we lived very much in Paris and uh went back and forth to Reykjavik which was so interesting I loved it have you been I have I went to Reykjavik Maybe four years ago, some friends got married there. They have really strong ties to Iceland. A lot of family from there. And it was on New Year's Eve. And we watched from the opera house because I think the average Reykjavik citizen spends like the equivalent of $600 on fireworks. So the whole sky for an hour is just filled with fireworks. It was really, really magical. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you were between these two cities and life was super fast-paced and then you decided let's pack it all up and move to the countryside? After a few kids... Uh, and dogs and all that. I think we were on our third kid together. I was pregnant with the third, Gaia. And we were starting to work together because we improvised our lives together so, so that we could share this life together. And uh, That's important, I think, also. We always 
realized that that had to be number one. Because when we met, we had careers in different countries. I quit my job very quickly. But also, you know, it was always something I wanted to do, go, go live abroad in, in Paris. I had lived briefly in London, but I kind of came back for the kids and all that. But I, I was always on my way somewhere. And uh, Mimi, you know, choose the destination for me, which was Paris. And But after a while, uh, I think we enjoyed our holidays in Italy, especially renting houses all over Italy and living like that. And thinking, you know, if you had your vegetable garden and we kind of had a good collection of dogs. I started working on the food guide together. So I was a food critic, Nodder, the photographer, and we had all these projects in Paris. And one day Otter just... As he said, we were always on holiday in the countryside in Italy or France. And he just said, hey, let's just, instead of going on holiday, let's just move there. And I was like, no, that's not possible. Like, leave Paris. And But then the next day I said, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just go there. And uh, I just wanted more dogs. I mean, that is yeah, really... Like, it really the real <laughs> true reason was because Otter wanted more dogs. And uh, it was a way the dogs led us, you know, the way. We, we had five in Paris, and, and it was very. We lived near the Eiffel Tower, and I would every. It's it's a tough moment at midnight when you had the dinner party, and everybody had to has to walk five dogs, and then the dogs always run around and kill all the rats, and it's kind of messy, and you just it's exhausting. So I, you know, I thought it was so nice on holiday. Open the door, and the dogs would run out and run around, and you didn't have to actually be one of the creatures of the night. It was kind of started to be a big part of my character. I even wrote like. A, beginning of a novel about the man who lives with his dogs in Paris and they kill the rats. There's so many rats in Paris. We lived next to the Eiffel Tower. And at night, after 11 p.m., there are so many rats in the park. It's horrible because everybody... Less, less because of my dog, but still quite a few. Horrible. (laughs) When we had dinner parties on the other side of the Eiffel Tower, we'd walk home to our side. The rats were also human size. I'll never forget that. That has to be. Have to write something. So we escaped that. No, so yeah, anyway, we moved yeah. to the country. We wanted to move to Normandy because we still weren't really ready to leave Paris. We thought Normandy was close enough, uh, and, and you know, Camembert and you know, lots of good, you know, more, more, more French. You know, we we thought that, but then we found a house to rent in Bidoc that looked a little bit nicer. There was a lot of kind of black leather sofas and flat screen TVs. But we, we really you know, went to the unknown the because <laughs> the, the, in the, my mom is from the south of France and we, you know, I know the south of France near Perigord very well, but I didn't know Medoc at all apart from the fine wines. I thought, okay, well, at least, you know, they have fine wines, so it must be okay. So we really went on an adventure, not knowing, but the house, we didn't even visit the house. We just rented it. And it was a farmhouse, but the aesthetics were really nice. And we thought, okay, that, that can... And then we moved. And it took like... Uh, you loved it instantly. It took me a whole kind of nine months to get into it because it was November. I was pregnant. I was like, mm, like... And then after nine months, it was a dream. You must have been pregnant for a really long time, like consecutively. I was telling that to a friend who was... I was doing an interview with her and she... I was saying, don't forget, you know, I have been pregnant all my life. <laughs> this is the first time I'm free. Have you seen, there's that Sophia Loren movie where she's, she's like selling cigarettes on the black market and they come to arrest her and she says, you can't arrest me, I'm pregnant. And so she just keeps getting yeah. pregnant <laughs> so they can never arrest her. <laughs> that, that's actually the reason. <laughs> <laughs> the true story. My son was asking me uh, last night, we were preparing uh, Agnolotti in the, in the uh, and he, he somehow okay. asked the question. He said, "What when you moved to Medoc? Like, what were you going to do? You know, what was your plan to do?" Uh, and and we, you know, I, I told him, you know, we had no plan. Well, the plan, the plan is that Otter was going to continue being who he is, a photographer, and you know, be a photographer as a career. And I was going to take some time off because I was pregnant and with Gaia, and I would take a year off. It was the first time in my life I actually took a year off. I was what, old, early 30s. And I thought, I've never actually stopped. Like, I've constantly been traveling, working, constantly. Like, I'm actually going to take a year off. And my friends thought I was so crazy. 
They thought I didn't think hard of you. I didn't know you would bury yourself. I didn't know you would end your life in the country. I was wow. like, no, this is, this is time off. And you know what? It comes back to the lockdown, time off, lockdown. I think all these things are essential and really important in our lives because whether you t- decide suddenly out of nowhere to take time off, which is what we kind of did, or having a real lockdown like we are, which is a surprise for everyone. It's really during these times that you have to dig your brain and dig your soul and you find out many things and hopefully some good things can come out, which can be the best things ever. And, you know, your creativity and suddenly there's a new channel that you didn't dare open because you didn't have the guts to open it, but now you're forced to. And I think that's what happened when we moved to the country, but unintentional, it was not planned. See, nothing was planned, just like COVID and lockdown. And I think... Yeah, we didn't plan COVID. Either. We didn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just the, plan, the non-planning, I think, is the best part of life. It's when you don't plan, it's when it happens, you know, and everything just happened from there, really. Like our... Everything. We didn't know what we were going to do really apart from continuing kind of our route but really an epiphany you know happened and And that's that's when you started the blog Manger yeah Yeah. it was absolutely you know nothing no strings attached it was just a little journal because when I had dinner parties in Paris and all my friends would always ask for recipes and it was also like you know wow finally appreciating just a journal it was just a journal it was really comforting to write it and then the rest, you know, just happened really fast after that. And I, Otter and I often quote a line that I, one night I told Otter, God, you know, like, um, it's so quiet in the countryside. I kind of miss the buzz of the city. Like, you know, I, I miss like not having something to do every day, like, uh, you know, this excitement. And, and Otter said, enjoy this time because one day you'll be so busy that you won't even have time to appreciate what's around you. And I thought, and then, yeah, and then we got so busy without understanding, you know, how fast it would be. Yeah, yeah, but good busy. Good busy. Like, it's important also uh, to mention, maybe during the period, you know, I got some offers to go travel, take pictures, and I always didn't want that. You know, I was very uh, determined. You're not going to go and move your country, your your family to the country, and then you're always doing something else. I wanted to be there, even if it meant, you know, maybe less revenue. I just thought it was very important to uh, be together. It, I think that, uh, you know, when you're married to someone that you want to continue being married to, you have to make that a priority. Otherwise, it won't work. Especially if that woman is, is an attractive, beautiful woman that might, maybe somebody else might be interested in. So I think it's important. You know, you have to just make... I never understood that in life. I always think... Imagine, maybe I'm going a bit far here, but I always thought like a guy who wants to make money, that's on his mind, he does, he goes to the right school, he works very hard at some company, he doesn't love to work, but he's saving up. And when he's 40, 45, it's like, now I have everything I want, but now I'm like, now I need someone to share it. And you good luck finding that. You know, you, you should have maybe thought about that also soon. I think it's very important to think about what's the most important in life. And there's no time limit for it. There's no, it can happen at any moment. I think it's good that it happens when it happens, but you should try to think that life is kind of like a pyramid upside down. There's very few things that matter that are the foundations of everything that's on top. If you stick to that. Does that that make sense? It's a good recipe. It does. And I think that that's probably a big part of the reason why the way you guys live is is impactful to people because at least in North America, it's the philosophy now is very individualistic. It's not about family. It's not about service for your family. It's not about sacrifice or whatever is perceived as sacrifice. So I think that when people see people cooking food and enjoying it with their family and, and having work and family as a blend, I think that there's something that kind of speaks to something that we've lost maybe maybe not lost put aside yeah for a while yeah it's it's on mute but it's coming back i think people are so focused on being independent and i think people are spending so much time declaring their independency and who they are and everything when really they should just be also focusing on you know a teamwork a unity a team like working as a team but of course you know 
it's complex. I think a lot of people don't have the guts to do things that they would really like to. I mean, that's that can apply for any time, any time in history and all that. But you should really, really do the things and sacrifice money or practical things because it's it's really worth it. We did that. We sacrificed. Don't sacrifice wine, though. No, but we did sacrifice a lot when we could have, you know, living in Paris, continuing. We sacrificed a lot for two years um, just to live a life that meant a lot to us, like an adventure. And and I think um, it takes a lot of guts. And I think um, that's what it is. At the end of the day in life, I think you need a guts, you know, courage to do something and sacrifice something else because you can't have it all. You have to go through the hard Right, the hard route, right, the scenic route in life. But I think that's when you do that because you believe in yourself and you do all the things you want to do. And usually, if you do them for the right reasons, they they're the good ones. And that took you to the country. So then, what was the story behind that house that you found? Well, the first house we rented, we just saw it online, and it didn't look as hideous as all the other houses. That was the story of that house. But it was actually it was a beautiful house with a swimming pool in the countryside. Uh, we got a good deal. Uh, it was just aesthetic, nice, very nice house, actually. And then after a while, we, we wanted to buy. And, and so we kind of fell on this house that was completely different in a village that, that had been an old hotel, so much bigger. And that made us start doing workshops. We thought maybe a restaurant, but then we thought that's going to be too tiring. It's a know? very, yeah. very beautiful house in a little winemaking village. And there was a history there. There was a woman who was the mistress of the mayor and he gave her that house. And anyway, she it was a wine, a little um, winemaking chateau, very humble one. And then, but it was a grand, beautiful house. And she decided, she was a cook and a chef, and she decided to open a hotel and a restaurant. So it was quite spooky actually it was you know everything was it was just meant to be it was destiny and when we moved in there the kitchens the layout everything that's when we started um hosting workshops without you know those were the baby days of workshops around the world it was you know we didn't really know what to do in a workshop and other just said well it's like open doors i think people want to see how, how some of that was actually in response to because the blog had taken off but also uh, the first book had done quite well and, and there was you know some following uh, and interest and, and sometimes you'd have these comments that were like oh this can't be read this must all be stayed so that kind of stuff so we were like well come, you know, come why not see. just get some people to come here and see what it's like like it's, it's like also what, what does it even mean not read like put some pumpkins on the table that's not real like what they're after <laughs> so we, we, could, we started um i continued writing books and uh we had this great um hosting a few workshops not too many because you know it's still your personal life and your opening and, and but they're they're great and this year unfortunately you know everything has been cancelled but we're hosting next year still so um and the house is very lonely right now. We haven't been back since February, but uh, you know we'll be back soon when all this is over. So, so the move to Italy was that related to wanting to do a cookbook in Italy, or which which came first, the house or the cookbook? Uh, justification of it in a way, because I first of all was always on my way to Italy. I was sidetracked in France for fifteen years, so that was always my my kind of where I wanted to go. So that's one reason. Another reason is Mimi loves Italy. But having lived in the countryside for eight years, and when the kids start growing older, you realize that I, we have both lived in various places. We understand the world a little bit. But if you grow up in that kind of micro-universe, where, you know, there's a vegetable garden and all that, but you are not exactly exposed to multicultural, you know, situation and, and in terms of, you know, or a cultural life. Yes, we go to Bordeaux and, and to Paris from time to time and all that. But I think it's also nice to be let them be in a school where, you know, you don't have to be driven everywhere. Like, it was difficult for them to meet their friends because everybody lived an hour away. So we thought maybe moving to Bordeaux, or at least, you know, keeping the house and having a place in Bordeaux. But then we thought, if you go through all that trouble, and we're still in the same place, we get a second home, but it's really like an hour from the other one. So we thought, let's just do something, the and same you know, thing we, we did. We always yeah. had a dream to live in Italy, and uh, it was now or never. You know, I mean, just like when we met, we're in Paris, and then from Paris, we went to the country. I think 
in life you have different chapters and you want to you want to fulfill your dreams your adventures the adventure continued and it just was all the right time right projects the book i mean everything one thing led to another again but when we moved here the month before we moved we didn't really know if we were moving here it was kind of um, very improvised and these days, I mean, you know, Italy and France are quite close to each other. I mean, it was easy to drive and, you know, we're always on road trips anyway. It's kind of our lives. So we improvise. I mean, I think we moved here in August in the summer and um, I still, Mimi, I didn't Mimi, organize okay. any schools for kids or anything. Yeah, Mimi thought a little bit like, it's the second time when we were moving from one house to another in, in the dark. And it was actually Christmas Eve. And I was just like, we have to have Christmas in the new house. But it was absolutely not ready. So I had kind of been doing some work in the house the days before, moving some furniture a little bit. But we really went three times across the dock from one house to another with a full like mattress. Like I was driving, you know, I was completely nuts, filling the dogs in, not really, not like nothing was really ready. But that was a beautiful Christmas. And when we came to Italy, it was the same. Like we had nothing in this apartment. We left everything in France. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, everything just kind of fell into place. We found all the furniture in this apartment just in side, side streets. You know, it, it really happened very, very organically. And uh, the kids, of course, you, everything always works out. It's just how it is. That's my theory, right? Everything always works out. Or cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. <laughs> I guess it's a philosophy in our lives. And, and for the better or for the worse, it works. It's a good way of living your life in the sense that, you know, if you worry too much about this and that, then you'll never achieve what you want later. You know, like it's tiring if you always have to worry about this and get stressed and then worry and think, overthink it. But if you just improvise, it's a bit like cooking in a way. I think, I think life is like, a, uh, you know, I always think of life. I always, for a very long time, I've thought about life like this. It's, a, it's like you walk into a room, you, there's a door closed, you don't know what's on the other side, but you just know you can do it. You know, there's a dragon or a witch or a ghost or, a, you know, some higher power. You just know that you're going to somehow be fine. And if you stay too long in the other room and you're always thinking about what possibly could be in that room you or how you could prepare yourself, maybe you need, I don't know, maybe you need a toaster. Maybe you need a microwave and you'll never go to that room. You just go to the room and you figure it out. Yeah, totally. You just throw that door open and figure it out when you get there. I, I always think of it as like jumping between trains. Like there's one train passing another and you just have this split second where you have to just jump and figure it out when you get to the other side. Now, because your work is is so intertwined, it's hard as a viewer sometimes to know where, you know, one aesthetic begins and one ends. Do you feel like you always had a similar viewpoint on aesthetics and beauty or was that something that grew together or do you pull each other in different directions sometimes with shoots or how does that work? We find it sometimes, but uh, no, we don't have exactly the same Fully, but, uh... Well, Otter is very much, you know, the Scandinavian Viking Northern Lights. I mean, he, he has that and uh, in him, and he's he's very perfectionist and you know, slick and minimalist, but also, you know, uh, like he has the vision. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what I have. I have <laughs> No, I think, yeah, like, it's it's actually quite funny because I am actually very much of a minimalist. And when we met, I had an apartment that was very pristine, kind of mid-century classic furniture, lots of photography books, you know, that kind of American cycle, <laughs> you know, that kind of aesthetic. But then, you know, uh, I understood when we, we were in the dock in the, uh, and, and, the, and the apartment in Paris was kind of a mix of our styles very much, you know, but nobody was really documenting that. But then we went to... to we should have. Yeah, but when we went to the... Um, uh, the houses in, in, in France, uh, we both realized we wanted to do in this, in this kind of bistro style. You know, I wasn't really playing in my aesthetic. Mimi wasn't really in hers. We were going in a, in a kind of a, in a, you know, direction that we felt was right for the house. It was very much that. So I think mine is very much, like I said, you know, it's very kind of slick. It's like, I don't know, like, Philip, you know, Four Seasons, the restaurant that was in the Seagram's building in New York. You know, that kind of stuff is very much what I like. Mimi is a uh, is more you know Marteco, uh, Parisian, boudoir, more like more <laughs> messy, messy, you know. 
more maximalist, like more drapes and more stuff. Like I that. overdress all the time. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm always overdressed. But uh, but we, you know, you don't necessarily have to always live in that one style. You know, I I, I feel that I might end up in a house like that one day, but but I don't know how that will happen. But I, I remember a copy of German, I think, Architectural Digest, and there was this older couple who were both wearing black, which I, I probably wouldn't have gone that far, but they, they, they were very much older. They were probably eight years old. And they, they lived in this very minimalist, very slick house, and they'd just given up everything. They didn't care. They didn't want to be the grandparents of just hoarders. You know, I'm, I'm anything but a hoarder, and me, me too. So we have a lot of stuff. We have a whole house in the middle full of stuff. But if we never saw that stuff again, I mean, I mean, yes, you would think like it's a shame or whatever, but it wouldn't matter that much. Yeah, I think just uh, like I think it's good to end up in a, in a in a in a in a slightly more Spartan place where you just feel like you know you put a, a glass of wine on the table, a nice book, you edit, you edit out what you don't need. I think that's good because yeah, I think you bring a lot of color, like yeah. you know, flowers, colors. <laughs> <laughs> you you <own> everything. No, I think a kitchen is nice to have a lot of. Uh, of color from vegetables you know in a way you could have a very minimalist our kitchen in france if you take all the food out of it it's not busy you know the walls are beige and white the tiles are uh, you know there's an old kitchen table there's a good story there actually very quickly that story so we bought the house there was almost no furniture we went around. We always we found start this, with the kitchen table. Yeah, we house. found the perfect kitchen table in Brokan somewhere not too far away. We bring it back, and then the former owner comes to the house and he says, That's our the kitchen table that was always here. So we found the same table yeah. and we brought it back in the stage. There, there's magic in that house, really. <laughs> yes. So so that's a bit of a goosebump kind of thing. But anyway, yeah, so the, the fruits and vegetables in that house and the whole section of the house, which is kind of kitcheny, was always about giving a platform for the fruits and vegetables. It was, everything else is almost just a canvas. There was not too much uh, stuff around. I think it's one of the most beautiful kitchens in the world. <laughs> it's really special. You have to come and see it one day. Absolutely. And then your process for, for taking photos and that, I heard you say something, I heard you tell the story of like the 50 peaches and you were, you were saying that you either, you either have to go like minimalist or maximalist. Yeah, but it's uh, it's the, the demystification of like the banal is is for people is what they see all the time. Like everybody goes, they go to the market and see um, something they like, peaches, plums, whatever. They buy seven. It just would they would buy seven, or maybe if it's just a single person, maybe five or three. But never, you know, would do that. And so if they see that in a bowl, uh, in a picture, it's nothing interesting because. That's what everybody has at home, seven or something. So you have to either go less or more. I mean, it's just kind of math. No, but it's not that. It's about abundance. It's a minimalism or maximalism. You know, everything. It's the same with, with so many things. So maybe that's it. Maybe you're one peach and Mimi is 50 peaches when it comes to... I think I'm one peach and she's probably 50, yeah. I think that's the best thing. <laughs> I'm one small peach. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I mean, I, I think that the beautiful work you guys are doing as as this world is in transition and people are looking to spending more time in the country and the importance of family because we're not socializing outside of these small groups and cooking and all of that. I think that you definitely forged the path earlier than the rest of us, but we're we're trying to catch up. With a pleasure. <laughs> thank you, guys. Enjoy your dinner. What are you cooking tonight? Chili from Carnage. Nice. Well, it's nice here. to meet you in person. Yeah, you seem very nice, Alex. It's nice to meet you too. Grazie. <laughs> you too. See you Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. And that, beautiful people, concludes this episode of The Inspirati. I hope you picked up some inspiration to take into your day. Please rate, review, subscribe, and leave a comment if you're enjoying these conversations. You can follow The Inspirati on Instagram or find me at alex.merrill. Stay inspired and keep creating. The world needs it more than ever.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.